0: Good morning. I love that bass at the end, you know. Boom, boom. Yeah, all right. Um, you know, uh, when I get to preach, I get a chance to come a little early because the, there was a teacher's devotion um, at 9 a.m. And, you know, some, these summer months, uh, it's really warm. And I came this morning in the parking lot and some of our guys were taking stuff out of the trailer and they were sweating At 8.30 in the morning. I'm just so thankful. You know, I think we sometimes forget that we take this for granted. This isn't just as happened. I mean, people really serve each morning. So if you're here, part of the crew that sets up all the signs and all our stage and the worship team, we just thank you so much for serving us that we could have a wonderful worship. Can we just give them a hand and just say thank you? Well, good morning. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing in our series in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read just two verses this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Trusting that you found it, uh, this is the reading of God's word. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as brothers. As mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Amen. Kind of to catch you up if, you, if you're new or visiting or you haven't been with us for a while, the letter of 1 Timothy is what we call a pastoral epistle. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to young Pastor Timothy who's pastoring a church in Ephesus. And one of the significant themes of this book is about the importance of correct doctrine in the midst of false teaching. Not only correct doctrine in terms of truth, but correct living because of that truth. And so as as a pastor, Timothy was called to not only teach the gospel truth to his church, but to help people grow in understanding what that needs to look like where faith and action comes together. And as we think about that life of truth and, and following and living in a life of obedience, it's what we might call today discipleship to Christ. One of the clearest marks of true discipleship to Christ is when God's people love one another as he's loved us. It is not about a romantic love. It is not about an erotic love. It is about an agape love. It is a love that transcends human emotions and even some of of the attempts at our own versions of love. In the book of John chapter 13, Jesus made it clear to his disciples that all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so loving one another in the church is a tremendous demonstration of the truth that is being lived out in our lives as followers of Christ. And so as young Pastor Timothy uh, is seeking to teach and disciple his church to be followers of Christ, it's important for them to understand, the, to develop a culture that promotes growth together. And one of the things that we struggle with in our culture today is that a lot of things in life is really a personal experience, including our faith. In fact, a lot of evangelists introduce the gospel as a personal faith. It is for you alone. And so you can now come and talk about Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's true. But that's not all it is. There is also a corporate experience where Jesus is the Lord of all. And we understand that as we come together as a church, that this is not just an individual experience. It is a corporate experience that we are to learn together, to love, to worship, and to follow Christ. And so today, as we look at this text, the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to young Pastor Timothy is to remember that as a pastor, you are called to give correction to the church. Not only in words of teaching but in words that deal with life and correction or rebuke. And and it's never to dismiss the truth of God, but here Paul encourages Timothy to wrap that truth with the the grace and the love where it is no longer just rebuke, but really an encouragement and a desire to see everyone really grow in in their walk with Christ. And so today, I, I entitled this message, Love in Action, and I really believe that what Paul speaks to here about, uh, about how we treat other people is really a love that is demonstrated in the body of Christ. So today I have three thoughts for you. The first one is that love approaches others with humility. Love approaches others with humility. It is a matter of practice and perspective. The encouragement here is that we are to see older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. What this simply is saying is that this gathering of people, though initially they are strangers, we don't know each other. We don't even know each other's names sometimes. But this gathering of people is not for a concert. It's not for a lecture. It is actually the terms that you, he uses, is a family, that we are to see each other. As fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, and that seeing each other this way is seeing each other through the eyes of the gospel truth, that, that we see one another, not as the world sees, or not as we used to see people before, but as we meet Christ and as we understand who we are in His family, that we see each other as family. In fact, Jesus himself described his disciples his family. In the gospels, especially in one of the places is Matthew 12, where it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so the idea of a biblical family of believers is really set as a foundation in the Gospels through Christ our Lord. But the church struggles to see each other as family. And then treating each other as family is also a challenge because sometimes family is not the most loving place. In fact, it's safe, so sometimes we're actually even rude to one another. But that's not what he's saying. He wants us to treat each other with a kind of love as we would a family. And this happens with humility. The challenge that we face today in our church, not just at Christ Central, but in the church universal, is that there are a lot of times when we struggle with the fact that we don't know each other well. Even this Sunday morning, I'm sure we're sitting sitting with maybe a friend or two, some of us may be just sitting alone, but we're sitting with other people. And I hope that we realize that during the greeting time, we're not greeting strangers, we're greeting family. There are also challenges that we face in terms of uh, prejudice. There are times when we see someone, and just by sheer appearance, we already might have concluded that this person maybe is not as friendly because that person really doesn't smile very much. Do you know how many times I get accused of being an unfriendly person that I look mean? And this is even from my own family. (laughs) Sometimes you're like, are you angry? I'm like, no. Well, you look angry. Well, I'm not angry. Why do you look angry? I'm not not angry. Now I'm getting angry. (laughs) I mean, it just happens, and it's just my face is just relaxing. And when... And when I'm relaxing, I guess I look angry. I I need to smile more. But smiling creates wrinkles, so I'm just trying to... (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you meet someone and you're standing next to a group of people and you you hear someone just blabbing off, just talkative, and thinking, oh, my God, that person is so self-absorbed. I don't want to talk to that person. Or maybe you see a very young person... As older uh, people in our 40s and 50s, sometimes we see people in their 20s. And not only do we envy your youth, but we sometimes look down and we think, oh, no, a millennial. <laughs> you know, and, and there's, there's these stereotypes of millennials. They're entitled. They don't, they're, not, they're, in, they're not in touch with reality and, and all the stuff that goes on. And that's not true, at least not for everyone. And maybe there are struggles of maybe uh, we look at people as opportunities. You know, how can they help me? You know, And sometimes in ministry, as pastors, sometimes we're guilty of this. We're, we're looking at people and we're looking for gifts and how they can help us in our ministries. But we shouldn't do that because you're people. You're God's children. And the reality is that for many of us, as we look around, we don't know each other. And even in a gathering of worship like this, we forget that this is actually a gathering of God's people. And we're inviting friends of God's people to come and understand what this community is about. As we think about this, the way we approach one another needs to be covered and wrapped in humility. I love one of, the past, one of my favorite passages is found in Philippians uh, 2, where it speaks about the humility of Christ. And it says, as Paul exhorts the Philippian church, he starts by saying in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, have this attitude among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though was in the form of God, did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the gospel really brings us to an understanding of how God had approached his creation. It was with tremendous humility. Christ came humbly and walked among his creation. He spoke and lived with his disciples. And I want you to think about this. It's creator God who came as creation and he dwelt among us. He lived among us and he called us his friends. And that demonstration of humility didn't just stop relationally. That demonstration of humility eventually took him to the cross, to die a criminal's death. And what blows me away sometimes is the fact that Christ at any given moment could have said, you know what, this isn't happening. Vroom. Just, it could have just stopped everything. He could have dropped a 1,000 people all at once. But he didn't. And with a tremendous sense of humility and honor to God the Father, he lived a life, a humble life, and he went to the cross, a humble death. And in the same manner, the Apostle Paul encouraged the Philippian church to have this attitude or mind among yourselves, where it's not so much about yourself, but you consider yourself as well as the consideration of others. And so it begins with how we see each other as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. And this is really hard to go from just calling each other, hey, brother, or hey, sister. Uh, I hope you never call me a father. (laughs) Please don't. If you do, you will offend me. But as we look upon each other this way, it is with tremendous humility that you don't look down on anyone and you don't disrespect people that are older. And so, with this perspective of this love approaching one another and seeing one another through eyes of humility, the second thing that we see here is that love confronts with grace. Love gives medicine as well as hugs, it's about balance. The Apostle Paul says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Rebuke here means to scold, to reprimand, or to admonish. And we're encouraging, he was encouraging young Timothy, as he has members in his church that were much older than him, to not be afraid or shy away from speaking truth, but to remember that as you do, when you speak to these older men, And women do so not to rebuke them, but to encourage them. And the word encourage here can be understood as to persuade or beseech. This coming January will mark my 30th year in ministry. God bless. Thank God for his grace. (laughs) And working in the current American church, I've worked with both younger people in my ministries as well as older men in ministry as pastors. And crossing cultures and, and generational differences I faced many situations where there were times when I felt tremendously offended or hurt by what the older leaders of the church had done. There was a time when I remember as a youth pastor, I was leading a worship. And, and as, we, as the message went long and I was leading in a time of prayer, I remember one of the elders, literally during the time of prayer for the youth group, came down and started offering because <laughs> he needed to worship the worship to end on time. And I was so offended. I was so angry. And I wanted so much to just confront this man. And after worship, I did nothing. (laughs) Because I didn't know how to approach him. I didn't know how to talk to him without being angry. And so sometimes in our false narratives, one of the false narratives that I held in my head was that you don't want to shame anyone because confrontation equals shame. And I think part of that is my own issue is that. I would be mortified if someone publicly rebuked me. That would be so shameful and embarrassing that I would never want to do that to others. On the flip side, there are some of you who have no problem confronting other people, and you like it when people confront you. But in these, it needs to be a balance of both truth and grace. The true narrative of Scripture is that love is not about just shame but it's about correction. It's about helping people truly to live a life that is in line with and worthy of the gospel. We all know that sometimes the most loving people are the ones who will speak the truth to us. Can I get an amen? It's not the people who are afraid to confront us. It's the people who love us enough to confront us, to deal with the areas of our life that are so blind to us and we can't see. The areas of our life that need correction. The gospel teaches us that confrontation with love and grace is how God loved us. In the book of Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to confront sin in us while we were still sinners. But he didn't just confront, confront us. He confronted that sin through Christ and he showed us grace in doing so. And so the balance of truth and grace is found as we see Jesus Christ. The the Gospel of John begins by describing Jesus as one who came full of grace and truth. And by the way, I really love the fact that Scripture put it in that order, grace and truth. Because the reality of every relationship is that rebuke is preceded by relationship you find that even in the Old Testament, that God demonstrates his deliverance to Israel before he begins to reprimand them about their errors of sin and idolatry? That relationships are important. They're the foundation from which rebuke or correction can be heard. If you don't have a relationship with someone and you just want to shove truth down their throat, they're not going to receive it. But if, you know, if they know that you care about them, you're in their life and there's a love relationship then you can speak correction into someone else's life. And that's why sometimes ministries like small groups or summer the, the summer clubs, just building relationships, are a tremendous investment for the church to build and lay the foundation of relationships so that we can help each other walk in this journey with Christ. The other challenge besides false narratives is the fact that there are differences in culture. In the Asian culture, we are a uh, honorific culture, a shame-based culture, and so there are some times when we are told in our culture as Asians that you are not to you are not to confront; you are actually to just simply listen and obey. I've heard that from my parents. You're you're my son. You just listen to me. Just listen to me. Just be quiet and listen. And I remember even in the church, I've heard that. You're younger. You're a younger youth pastor. Just be quiet and listen. Do what we tell you to do. And there's a mix between culture and faith. And this syncretism of culture and faith can destroy the purity of the message of what God wants us to understand. Because the difference between a cultural honorific idea and, 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 and practice and the difference between that and scripture is that there is a true and, uh, and fundamental objective standard by which we all are held accountable. And that's called the scriptures or the Bible. And from there, whether we're older or younger, male or female, we all submit ourselves to the truth of God's word because ultimately we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the Christian view is that we approach people, not because we just need to respect our elders for whatever they say, but we need to see people as as, as of value and of worth in the sight of God. And that not only are they created in the image of God, but they were worth dying for. And so as old and young men and women who are dearly loved by God himself, we are called to love them in such a way that honors God who loves them. And so, as we approach the area of correction, rebuke, or confrontation, one of the areas that is very significant is what's going on inside of us. That at the moment when someone says, Hey, um, do you have a moment to speak? You know, when someone says, Hey, Pastor Jim, can I speak with you? My heart starts to beat I'm like, What are you going to say to me? <laughs> People never come to pastors with good news, they always come with bad news. Don't do that to us, we're like conditioned. Like, if you say you want to talk to me, like I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. <laughs> Sometimes say, can, do you have five minutes? I'd love to just encourage you, and I'd love to take you somewhere. Do do that. A lot of times you say, can I, do you have a few minutes? I'm like, no, I, I don't have any minutes. <laughs> See, what goes on inside of us is that confrontation deals with vulnerability, not only by the one who is taking the risk to confront, but the one being confronted. There's a a very good TED talk by uh, by a woman by the name of Brene Brown. She's a researcher. And this TED talk is entitled, The Power of Vulnerability. She talks about how people want connection. And in this pursuit of connection, she talks about shame. And she defines shame as the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people know or see it, that I won't be worthy of connection? That we have shame? And it's universal. And no one wants to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more of it there is. We struggle with, I'm not good enough. And we fill in the blank. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not good enough. And so in order to have connection, we we have to allow ourselves to be fully seen, really seen, she says. And she calls these people who who are able to connect with others, wholehearted people who live out of a deep sense of worthiness. And they fully embrace vulnerability. And there's one thing that she says here that I want to read for you. She says, Vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and struggle and for worthiness. But it's also the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and love. She says, We numb vulnerability. And that's why... uh, we are the most, we are the, we are the according to her, the, the greatest cohort in U.S. history where we are most in debt, most obese, most addicted, and most medicated because we try to numb the bad stuff and how it makes us feel, the shame. And so if I don't want to feel these things, I numb them by doing all these things. But we can't numb the negative things without also numbing the positive things like joy and happiness. And so the conclusion of this idea is that there needs to be a sense with which we are willing to be vulnerable. And as we think about vulnerability, it's it's that risk to say, I care about you, and I'm going to take a chance, and I'm going to talk with you about something that is unhealthy. And that's a demonstration of love. Parents do this with kids. Kids. Couples should be doing this with each other, and friends should be doing this with friends. One of the things that I used to be a very strong advocate of, and I still am today, is sports ministry. And there are a lot of times when churches, we engage in sports activities, and competitive sports brings out the best and the worst of us. And in competitive sports, you can't hide what's going on inside of you. If you have anger issues, it will come out. If you have pride issues, it will come out. And so this becomes a great arena of discipleship where we get the real you. Not the Christian version you on Sundays, but the real you. And I love the fact that when we get together in competitive sports, that we get a chance to help each other become better. To really live out what we say we believe. And it's during these moments when men need to step up and really speak to one another as men and brothers. And say, bro, dude, that's not good. I love you. And... I know you, I know we can be better. But not even in competitive sports, but even among women and, and men as well. We all struggle with this, this sense of gossip. Gossip is one of the most uh, rampant sins in the culture of the church and, and maybe even society. And no one starts by saying, you know what, let me, let me truly, let's start, do you want to gossip with me? No one starts that way. We start by saying, you know, they're, they're, man, you know so-and-so, man, I'm so concerned about them. Did you hear And we talk about each other, about ideas or thoughts or things that we've heard that may or may not be true. And even if they are true, would it be something that you'll feel comfortable talking about them in your presence? And we let these things go on. Couples, there are times when we confront each other without love. And that that too is just truth. Just shove down someone's throat. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is to approach each other with such a love where love confronts with grace. And it confronts with an understanding that my ultimate desire is for you to really grow and to truly walk with Christ. And so it does require vulnerability. And if I may speak, there is a sense with which truth and tenderness and compassion come together because of the grace of God that has been shown to us. And so when we speak to older men and women, we don't make statements. We start with questions. Do you think he or she heard that well? How do you think they heard what you said? And when we ask certain questions, when we beseech them, that becomes a way to encourage them And to honor and respect them as older men and women. When we we think about younger men and women, that we don't look down upon them or speak down or speak in any way that's condescending. But we speak in love. And we speak to them as brothers and sisters who have honor and integrity and value and worth. And so love approaches others with humility. Love confronts with grace and thirdly, love pursues godliness. This letter, Paul writes to Timothy a lot about godliness. And one of the things that he tells Timothy in, in chapter four is let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He's talking about godliness. He wants us to live. He wants Pastor Timothy to practice this, and he wants him to teach it to his church. And at the end of this verse in verse 2, he says and, and, you're, and, and uh, encourage the younger women as sisters in all purity. And a lot of commentators think that this particular addition of in all purity is in relation of older men and how they approach younger women. And I totally understand that context. But if you see the broader picture of how we are to treat older men and older women and younger men and younger women it is not just in sexual purity but it is in the purity of the heart that we're not speaking to people with our own agenda we're not trying to manipulate the situation or the person but instead we care about them and so this godliness of confrontation and the pursuit of it begins with the humility of heart that says god i I may be bothered by what might have been said or done, but I want to check my own heart because I don't want to speak in self-righteousness or pride or anger. I want to speak in love and humility. And so we go into a time of prayer to make sure that our heart is right in the presence of God, that we preach the gospel to ourselves, and remember that we too are sinners saved by grace. And that as we do that, That when we prayerfully consider the conversation about to be had, we understand and we do a lot of self-reflection and we check our own hearts and we ask, do you think that maybe talking about this might be a good thing? And in this battle, that there might be, the biggest battle of sin, to me, is not in the action. It's what goes in the heart. That before I ever do anything, I conceive of it, I meditate on it, and I desire it in my heart. One of my friends in his, in his message, he's a pastor, and one time he said something during a sermon that still resonates with me, and he said, you know, my biggest struggle is not that I sin, it's that I want to sin. And I sat there for a moment. I couldn't remember anything else he said during the message because that gripped me. It's not just that I, I sin, it's that I want to sin, that I'll think about it, that I'll crave it. And he said, that bothers me more than anything. That introspective thought came through prayer. And do we want justice for justice sake? Or do we want to see people grow and walk and continue in their journey with Christ? To develop a heart of love, we need to continue to practice that. One of the things that I'm really encouraging our church to consider is that following Christ means that we practice love together. Love needs to become a quality of our character before it is seen in our actions. You can't just muster love out of nowhere. And it begins as we continue to contemplate what it means as we relate to and think about our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this, this encouragement, this loving rebuke that encourages us to continue walking with Christ in truth, that it requires vulnerability. It requires a reflection. And it requires a time of prayer that as we meet with people, that we do so in the love that has been demonstrated to us. I want to just leave you with this. And and I think one of the most impactful things that have helped me to take the challenge. Being a relational person, I'm not a confrontational person. But I realized that my false narrative is that I love you, and if I love you, I won't confront you because I won't shame you. That's a false narrative. It's not true. Love means I do need to confront, and I need to be confronted. And that requires a tremendous sense of vulnerability that only is found when you have the foundation and the truth of the gospel in your life. I love the fact that the gospel teaches us that the most ultimate vulnerability was to stand before God with sin and let him judge you. And that's what Christ did. He took the absolute, just painful vulnerability of the cross. And God didn't just rebuke him. that He took him to death which was the right punishment for sin. That Christ, on our behalf, became vulnerable, not just for correction, but to death. And this is why we are now free to be able to love one another because he first loved us. That we are free to love each other in truth and in grace. And that as we grow as a church and as we mature, we're going to have more people who are older And so please, let us create a culture where this is not about don't say anything to older people. Older people are the only one who could speak to younger people. No. That we're brothers and sisters. We're mothers and fathers. And together, we grow together because ultimately our authority is not the older people. It's Jesus Christ. And let's honor him. And let's build a culture where truly following Christ is done together. No matter what age or gender you are. And in that freedom, because of the gospel, we can really become the people of God, where we treat one another with such dignity and respect and honor, because we are loved children of God. Let's pray.